Hello, welcome to the Seven Point Highlander cast, the official podcast of the Seven Point Highlander Magic the Gathering format. I'm your first host, Millie, and joining me on the line is Vance. Hey, everybody. And Sav. Hello, everyone. All right, in this episode, we are going to get into our picks from the new core set that's coming out soon, Magic 2019, and we're going to do a little bit of a... We've got a bit of time for a listener question and answer, but we've got some other stuff to talk about first, um, which, first of which, I don't mind if I just announce that, hello, I'm back, I went to the United States and I returned. (laughs) Welcome home. How was GP Vegas? It was super fun. It was really... It's hard to fathom how big a Grand Prix can really be, being used to Australian Grand Prix, where the main event will get mm. somewhere around like a thousand players. To then go to an event where there are two Grand Prix going at once, each of which had like 2,000 people playing, tons of side events, so many venues. Like, it's absolutely massive. And everybody is... It's like a giant magic party, essentially. And uh, yeah, I went to introduce well to play the main event but also i brought with me the highlander decks to see if i could get some people to play highlander with me sweet did you get many takers um uh, well basically they have a section of sort of like magic personalities and some wizard stuff that you can line up to go and play and try and win a booster pack um called their spell slinging section it's a become a regular for channel fireball gps and I queued up for a bunch of people that I that I wanted to see. Some of the the guys from Lodi Ready Run, like uh, James, Ben, uh, Cameron, and Serge. And whenever I would sit down with them, I'd be like, "Hey, these are they'd, they'd offer me like standard or modern or pauper, and I'd be like, "Oh, how about you play some Australian Highlander with some decks that I brought?" And um, everybody took me up on that who was given the option, which oh, was wow. cool. So I would basically sit down and be like, here are four decks. You've got a choice of uh, Blue Black Good Stuff, uh, Jund, which was our listener competition se- selected deck, which was pretty cool, um, Naya Zoo, and Storm. And nobody except for uh, one, one person, a, a Wizard staff member, selected Storm to play, but everybody else <laughs> decided, you know what, maybe picking up a random Storm deck isn't for them. Um, my blue-black deck was a pretty popular option, as was Jund. Which one was the deck with the biggest uptake? I'd say that the split between Jund and my blue-black deck were the, the oh, most popular nice. decks, with Zoo being a little bit a little bit further down. However, Zoo definitely had the best win record of the weekend going undefeated. Yes! Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not proud at all. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when, when uh, someone introduced me to Highlander for the first time, and... The format was all about, like, cards that don't get played elsewhere or bizarre interactions that you haven't seen before, but all of these things happening on a competitive stage, like in in an actual competitive format, not EDH, something like that. Was there any, you know, particular, particularly memorable play that someone made or maybe a comment that one of the players went, oh, wow, Titania, that's not playable in any format. Was there anything like that that was really interesting from a new person's perspective? In terms of the games played, I don't think there was any particular moment that stood out of them being like, oh, wow, I can do this. That wouldn't normally happen. Um, the decks kind of showed their very sort of classic cards, which, um, which, mm. which was good to show that like, hey, the strategies you know and love are in this format. It was interesting seeing the split of people. Not everybody wanted to see the deck before they played with it. Like, especially 
especially oh, the wow. Jund players, they tend to just grab the deck, be like, "What? It's Jund? Yeah, whatever. I'll shuffle up, I'll draw, I'll just see what what comes," and then just <laughs> sort of be like, "Oh yes, Deathrite Shaman. Oh yes, it's uh, it's a Colligan's command, like pretty classic stuff." I think uh, the Ramanap Excavator, someone was like, "Oh, that's playable," and I'm like, "Hell yeah, it's playable." Um, oh, nice. I, that's actually what Micah was saying, wasn't it? That our listener, our listener who suggested that deck, uh, Jund. Uh, he was saying, oh, people like to just, you know, pick it up, shuffle it up, you know, draw off the top of their deck and just jam. And, and that seemed to resonate. So it, it was a, it, it worked out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, generally, the people who picks up the blue-black deck or the uh, Naya deck would sort of rifle through it to see what was in it. And mm. um, was you just get that enjoyable thing of people like flicking through the deck being like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, I like that card. Oh, oh, this has got treasure cruise in it. Nice, like um, that sort of thing. The the Naya deck, it was a bit more like, oh yeah, little creature, little creature, little creature. Mox, okay. <laughs> so that was that was fun. I sadly did not uh, get to win much in these games because. My deck was taken a lot, and I would always <laughs> give them first pick of the deck, so I would generally pick uh, Naya or John myself, and I was mostly playing with the decks. So I was like, I've got no idea what I'm doing here, so uh, I lost a lot. But it did mean that they had a good experience. Yes, that was noble, very noble. Yes. Not to say that, like, I let them win. Unfortunately, I am too competitive to let that happen, but, like, I'm trying to find <laughs> the silver linings to my loss. Cool. Oh, well, that sounds like a sweet experience. Yeah, it was yeah. really cool, and I'm I'm hoping that everybody seemed to enjoy it, um, and I'm hoping that maybe the format is going to get a little bit of a, a foothold in the US. We'll, we'll see. Mm. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll move on to our next segment now, our new regular segment, and that is, what's the point? And Sav... What card are we talking about this week? This segment, uh, we talk about a particular card and essentially why it's pointed. So I think the person with the best perspective on this particular card is Vance. The card that we're going to talk about today is worth two points. It's called Channel. Ah, Channel. So Channel's a card that doesn't get a huge amount of play. There's only really one deck and some variants of it that play it. But the reason it's two points is when Channel is good, it's miserable. So the deck that plays it the most is a, a deck that's called Channel Mirror. So it plays Lich's Mirror, which... Are you both familiar with that one? Uh, you might want to remind me. It's a five-mana artifact. When you die, instead you shuffle your graveyard into library and draw seven new cards. You probably shuffle your permanents as well, and you go back to 20 life. And so if you've cast a channel earlier in the turn, suddenly you've got 20 extra mana and a bunch of new cards. So the deck plays a bunch of cards like Lich's Mirror, well, it plays Lich's Mirror and a bunch of cards that draw cards. I can't remember, I think some variants of it play draw sevens as well. And basically the idea is to just try and loop through your deck repeatedly, searching up the Lich's Mirror with various things that search for artifacts, and eventually kill your opponent, you know, usually with Emrakul, because Emrakul's also obviously very good because sometimes you get hands where you just go... Like, Forest, Elvish Spirit Guide, Channel, Emrakul, <laughs> um, and your opponent <laughs> dies pretty quickly after that. You're not even getting your value out of the Annihilator 6, then. Yeah, you don't get to say Annihilator 6, they've got no permanence. <laughs> they, they might have one. <laughs> they could have gone first. And man, you just um, really get them. 15 life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, it's two points for a couple of reasons. The first one is, it's a ridiculously powerful effect. 
it's hard to use and a lot of decks can't use it, but when you can abuse it, you know, you put Emrakul into play on turn two or three and that's pretty bad. The other reason it's two points, a related reason it's two points, is for tournament reasons. So, particularly the Lich's Mirror version, which is, I think, probably the best version of the channel decks, takes, in the hands of an inexperienced pilot, and sometimes with an experienced pilot, it takes forever to go off. And you can't concede to it because there's a reasonable chance they fizzle. Having one in your tournament is not the best experience for other players, or can be a miserable experience for other players because uh, I've seen people take, you know, 20 minutes in their turn where they're going off and their opponent has nothing to do and might have nothing to do for the rest of the game or they might just win at random. So, yeah, that's the main reasons. It's two points. I guess from the perspective, that uh, deck is... I'm not saying it's it's good, but it is played in vintage, essentially. So that's the point of channel. Very interesting. I think there's a lot of cards that seem to be on the point list just because they're fine if you're playing them for, like, mm. it's a good card, but you have to hold back something that's will be really absurd or busted or broken. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, Yogmoth's Will, as an example, um, is three points purely because of Storm. If Storm as a mechanic or a deck didn't exist, Will would probably still be a point, I guess, but... Um, there's no way it'd be three if you were just using it for for value. Anyway. So yeah, um, thank you for explaining what the point is for channel. Now, before we get into our Magic 2019 spoiler opinions, uh, we've got time for one listener question of the week. And, uh, who's the question coming from? Uh, so this one, this question is from Michael Hearn, and he has asked us, what is the card with the most points fluctuations historically? Uh, so this is a really interesting question. Um, it's, it, I don't think there's a prize winner for it, a clear prize winner, but there's one pretty good card that is uh, the first one that comes to mind for the largest number of points fluctuations, and that is Flash. So I think Flash has kind of gone all the way up to four at one point, and then it's come all the way back down from four down to zero. Is that correct, Vince? I think Flash might have been every available point. So I think it's been everything from zero to four. That's uh, interesting. I'm not 100%... Uh, up there with Black Lotus, Flash. I'm not 100% sure it's ever been three. It's definitely been one. <laughs> it's definitely been one. four. I'm pretty sure it's been both two and three. So there was a period um, not long after Hulk came out where... Flash was, particularly in Melbourne, just destroying tournaments. People were having difficulty adapting to it. And um, Isaac, who was the only person really running Highlander events in Melbourne at the time, uh, was seeing a notable downturn in attendance. Like, his events weren't firing, or they were firing with, like, eight people where previously he'd had 20. And so Flash and Hulk were both put to four points, just to make people (laughs) understand that you could not play this deck. Interesting. <laughs> That's oh, as wow. close as our Highlander gets to a banning, really. So Flash, I mean, for those who haven't heard about Flash itself, I mean, for the newer players in the room, this is essentially where the mechanic got its name from, isn't it? Flash yeah. as a card was the ability to essentially instant speed in one of your creatures and pay the rest of the mana for it so that it actually came into play. So it's kind of discard a card, your cre- your next creature gets uh, flash. Oh, yeah, that's so. that's right. Like, 
Very good point. We should probably just quickly read it. So it's one and a blue for an instant. You may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. If you do, sacrifice it unless you pay its mana cost reduced by up to two. So essentially it'll be the same mana cost as it would normally be. Yeah, and so the thing you normally do with it is you put Protean Hulk into play, which is a, I don't know, seven mana 6-6 six, six, or a six mana 6-6, six, six, I can't remember, that when it dies you get to search up, I think it's six power worth of creatures... Uh, yeah, total converted mana cost six. Oh, or converted less. mana cost. Yeah. Okay. I can never <laughs> yeah. Dried arbor in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And and so there's a variety of ways that you can turn that into just immediately winning the game. And yeah, so it was up there, and now it's at zero, and it's the Flash Hulk deck is pretty good at the moment um, with Hulk at two and Flash at zero. But you know, who knows what the future holds for this card. Yeah, I mean it is it is zero points at the moment, and there are there is the new recent printing that we uh, talked about in the spoiler. Uh, was it two sessions ago or three sessions ago? I, I lose track. No, Battle Bond last session, whichever right. one it was, it was the one with Arena Rector in it, mm-hmm. and that immediately made us think, okay, Flash, yeah, zero points for Arena Rector, zero points for Flash, blue and a colorless to find an Ugin and put it into play on turn two. Seems yeah. alright. Yeah, seems okay. Um, so there's actually a couple of other cards that I'll just talk about from uh, before both of your times that used to be a lot more points than they are now. In fact, all these cards I'm going to mention are now zero and mm. definitely should be zero. Uh, so in when, when there were split lists, uh, Moat was two points out of five on the Canberra list at one point. I think the Abyss might have been as well. Liliana Vess was, I think, three points out of ten <laughs> in the Melbourne list. And in some of the early lists, there's just all sorts of crazy cards, like uh, Stormbind was a point, Jihad was a point. Yeah, there's been all sorts of things on on the lists in the past. I think it's saying something that I don't even know what those cards do for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jihad, I think, is, it's like a crusade, but your opponent has to control a creature of a particular colour. Your creatures get plus two, plus one or something. Wow. It's, It's not very good. It's sweet art, that's all I can remember. <laughs> Anthem with sweet art. The, these, yeah. these kind of cards are a really big indicator that when it comes to points lists, the meta is probably the number one most important thing to consider when you go, why is this thing pointed? You know, power level is a thing, yes. Unfun situations are a thing, yes. These are all factors, but you also have to look at the meta. And in the past, there was a meta where Flash should be four points and Hulk should be four points too. And that is no longer the case. Very interesting. So we only have time for one listener question, but we did look at all of your very great questions that you sent us on Twitter and on Facebook. So um, every now and again, if we have an episode where we have enough room, we'll dig one of those up. Or if you are one of our Patreons, which we'll tell you more about at the end of the show, you will get, if you ask us a question there, we will consider it a priority to get to those ones a little bit faster than the other questions. So if you wanted a question that you've really got a burning desire to have answered by us on the podcast, the fastest way to get that answered is by becoming a Patreon at any level and sending us a comment that way. And with that, I think it's on to the Magic 2019 spoilers. We're not going to talk about as many cards as we did for Battle Bond, um, because it's a core set that tend to be pretty basic, so uh, they have to go through standard as well, so wizards aren't likely to print anything super absurd, but there can be some interesting tools. So the first one on the list is Vivian Reed. 
She is a legendary planeswalker, Vivian, the first of its type. Um, for three green green, she enters with five loyalty. She has a plus one. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a creature or land card from among them and put it in your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Her minus three is destroy target artifact, enchantment, or creature with flying. And then her minus eight, or her ultimate, is you get an emblem with creatures you control, get plus two, plus two, and have vigilance, trample, and indestructible. Why did you want to bring this one up? My first reason is the art is sweet. It That's is. not a big reason to play it in Highlander, but it has sweet art. <laughs> Heckin' sweet art. Particularly in one of the other cards where she's shooting an arrow that turns into a tiger. That's Anyway... Um, quite beside the point. So the reason I wanted to bring this one up is it's potentially good enough in decks like Elves. So at the moment, Elves plays Fraley's, which is same mana cost, similar loyalty. The plus one is make a Lanawar Elf um, rather than impulse for a creature or a land. So those are similar. The minus two is destroy target artifact or enchantment. So that's less loyalty, but less flexible. And the ultimates both win the game, so whatever. I'm not sure if it's better than Freyalee's, but it's certainly an option for people looking to consider other options. Maybe it's a good sideboard option. Yeah, card, card seems totally playable. Like, we're always looking in Highlander for uh, green, stompy-type planeswalkers. For some reason, they're the ones that get the most play, and it's probably because uh, Guy's Cradle. <coughs> and Guy's Cradle just, you know, tap it, uh, one tap one land, put a very large Planeswalker into play that has some kind of big stompy ability, and uh, I think she fits straight into one of these one of these decks at some point. Um, don't know what the configuration is, but some kind of elves. Uh, the other reason that the green Planeswalkers tend to get a lot of play is a lot of them fit well in rampy sort of decks, both because you're playing the little elves that let you cast them earlier and also then they let you accelerate out your other threats a lot of the time so yeah look i think this is definitely a card that's worth checking out all right what's next uh next up we have tezzeret artifice master also five minor three double blue for a, a five loyalty planeswalker the plus one for tezzeret is create a one one thopter colorless with flying and the zero is draw a card if you control three or more artifacts i.e metalcraft draw two cards instead oh i can see where this is going and minus nine you get an emblem with at the beginning of your end step win the game now at the end the beginning of your end step search your library for a permanent card put it onto the battlefield shuffle your library so this is something to do with the storyline right so um, yeah that's what, what uh do you think? Ultimate win the game. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that zero ability is just incredible. Mm-mm. If you're playing Tezzeret, you're playing him in a deck that wants artifacts. Like, there is absolutely no other reason to bring him anywhere near your deck. So odds are that by the time you're casting a five mana spell, you've probably got at least three artifacts. I can't imagine a time when I've been in some kind of artifact-based blue deck, been at five mana, cast something for five mana, and not had three artifacts. Yeah, I mean, even if you're not in it, I think it actually might have slightly broader applications, because even if you're in something like the the Bant Planeswalkers decks that some people have been playing recently, a lot of those decks play things like Signets. Um, Mm. Getting to three artifacts in Highlander is, you know, trivial, basically. And even then, if you don't have three artifacts, you're still drawing a card. That's fine. Yeah, you're still drawing a card for no loyalty. 
Or if you really need to get to that two cards, create a Thopter and next turn you can draw some cards. Seems fine. True, true. Probably the biggest thing against wow. Tezzeret is that um, three mana in a, like a color that do- doesn't typically get a lot of ramp, um, unless you're using something like Tolarian Academy to get there. Uh, it might just be a little bit too expensive. Yeah, five's always a tricky spot. You know, I've, I've always wanted to play the new Jace. Uh, I can't remember his actual name, but he costs five mana and he looks like he's uh, creeping about the place, you know, looking all looking all uh, shifty. Uh, I think he's from... Sh- oh, he's from um, Shadows of Innistrad. Yeah, that that one. I just remember the art. I can't remember what, what he does, uh, what, it, what his name is, but I do remember what he does. And it's something very akin to Jace the Mind Sculptor. You know, you get to bounce a creature, you get to get some kind of card advantage. So he kind of looks like this plus one loyal, uh, plus one mana cost Jace the Mind Sculptor. I've wanted to play him, but he just never makes a cut because he's five. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Uh, so, are we done on Tez? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Cool. What's up next? So, our, ne- our next card is Psy Master Thopterist, which is a bit of a mouthful. Uh, it costs two and a blue for a legendary creature, Human Artificer. Whenever you cast an artifact spell, create a 1 1 colorless Thopter artifact creature token with flying, and also one and a blue sacrifice two artifacts, draw a card. Oh, and it's a 1 4. <laughs> well, well, I think the one four point is actually really relevant for blue, right? You know, so many times you just need to stabilize the board because otherwise you're going to get overrun by your your zoo opponent. And a zoo opponent looks at a one four and goes, "Oh, what? I have to use a searing searing blaze or something on this creature after attacking into it, and it's absorbing up some of my damage." It's because it's kind of a frustrating little wall like creature. But the ability is pretty relevant. I mean, we're going into the same deck that Tezzeret is going into, where, uh, you know, these your, your Mox Opal and your Signets and so on are all generating a Thopter. These Thopters gum up the board and make sure that you don't die. And just bit by bit, you're going to start to stabilize. And once you're stable, um, drawing cards is good. So I, I think this card is playable. So, you know, it'll just be interesting to see the, the one thing that I've found that has been difficult with brewing with uh, blue artifact-based decks is there's just not enough space to put all the sweet artifact cards in. All the sweet, you know, this this creature himself, Psy, is not actually an artifact himself. And you just go, oh, there's not enough space in the deck. I just want to put all this sweet synergy in, but I still need a critical mass of artifacts. So will he make the cut? I don't know. But he seems totally so playable. I think... I think the other place that um, Psy might see some play is in some kind of artifact-based combo deck where one of the things you're trying to... You, you'll have a couple of ways of going off, and one of the ways you'll have going off is just somehow bouncing some artifacts repeatedly and just generating mm. endless thopters and killing your opponent with them. That's what I was thinking. Um, I was looking at this being like, man, if they've, I've got any way to recur an artifact to my hand and then cast it cheaply then you're looking at ways to create infinite thopters or uh, sacrifice, like just draw a lot of cards. If you've got some other means to generate mana from the thopters that you're making, then you can very quickly draw your deck. That's probably more on the commander side of what it will be useful for. But I mean, there is something is, broken is thing, hidden right? in this card and somebody just needs yeah. to crack it open. All right. 
The next one we have, uh, I'm pretty excited by this guy, is Runic Armasaur. One green green for a creature, Dinosaur. Yes, he's a 2-5. <laughs> uh, whenever an opponent activates an ability of a creature or land that isn't a mana ability, you may draw a card. Hell yeah. Well, to quote Sarah McClendon, drawing cards is good. <laughs> you don't say. It's my, that's my philosophy of life. That's my Absolutely. motto. <laughs> so this card is... It's one of the most likely Highlander playables in the set, I think. So it's comparable to something like Burning Tree Shaman, which is a favourite of mine in aggro decks. So Burning Tree Shaman is three mana, it's a three, four, and it pings anyone whenever they activate any ability uh, that isn't a mana ability. So this one doesn't deal damage, so it's maybe not quite as good in aggro decks, but it does only affect your opponent. doesn't affect them if they activate Planeswalkers, so that's not as good, but drawing cards is, you know, as noted pretty good so i think this is going to be and, and and two five is a big size like we were saying before that uh, three mana one fours are good well three mana two fives are going to be better so this guy's a, a good size it means every time your opponent crack, cracks a fetch you get to draw a card every time they uh use their you know their death right shaman or their tassigar or whatever um you get to draw a card there aren't that many the, the, the one holding point is in highlander there aren't that many creatures with activated abilities that get a lot of play. There's some, there might be less than you think. But look, uh, overall, I think this card is like a surefire lock for some kind of uh, green mid-range deck. Another comparison is obviously uh, Corsair Acrufix. Same mana cost, same power, a little bit more toughness. The difference between four and five is not irrelevant when you've got Siege Rhinos and Tassigas in the format. And it does some kind of card advantage ability so it's it's one of these perfectly placed green creatures that kind of comes out on turn you know two or three depending on ramp and the like sometimes four and just starts generating incremental advantage and one criticism that people will have immediately when they see these types of mechanics is oh it's a punisher mechanic punishers not good don't play it uh you know punisher mechanics are perfectly fine when they're on a respectable body for a respectable mana cost for an ability that your opponent can't avoid doing. Yeah, ex exactly. I um, particularly if you can get it out on say turn two, your pro your opponent probably has no choice but to crack two more fetch lands over the course of the game mm. if it's a long game. Even if nothing else happens, that means your three mana two five has drawn you two cards. That's pretty decent. Yeah, I totally agree. There's one also one factor that we've totally neglected, and that is the fact that Runic Armasaur is incredibly cute. Like, his art is amazing. Check him out. He's got this tiny little head. He's got a bunch of feathers on him. He's got these fluoro, fluoro spikes on his Stegosaurus back. He is one of the cutest cards, if not the cutest cards, from this set. I'm sure that will be is very like impactful for deck building again. <laughs> get that guy in foil <laughs> so they've been like man this three drop or this three drop well this one's cuter well hey look it's cuter than Corsair Krupa because I play this that's for sure <laughs> alright what's next next up we have Remorseful Cleric Remorseful Cleric is two mana, so one and a white for a 2-1 flying lovely evasive body but its power is really really cool Sacrifice Remorseful Cleric Colon, exile all cards from target player's graveyard. Tormod's Crypt on a 2-1 flying evasive hate bear. What do you think, Amelia? 
Well, if I was already interested in playing something like Tormod's Crypt and I'm playing a white white deck with creatures in it, then um, it seems totally fine to replace that for a 2-1 that is going to continue beating face in an evasive way, um, or Mm. just be in addition to to Tormod's Crypt. It might end up being a medical, like if you've got a lot of decks played near you that do a lot of shenanigans with a graveyard, then Remorseful Cleric just seems like an easy shoe into any white deck. But um, if there's not as much graveyard stuff, it'll probably come down to what you're trying to achieve with your deck. But, like, I see two mana, two one flyer with a very relevant ability, and I'm paying attention. Yeah, I think there is a close to 100% chance that this sees at least sideboard play. Like, Hate Bears is a deck, and that's and it's going straight in Hate Bears. If you're playing Naya Zoo... You've got to at least consider this for your sideboard because it does all the things you want out of a sideboard card. Um, some control decks might consider playing it. Um, yeah, this card's great. Yeah, I think a really good comparison. And again, nowhere in the sheer ubiquity and power level of, but in a similar kind of approach, is Kazali Pride Mage. Kazali Pride Mage sees main deck play in literally every single green white deck. And that is because it's a two drop that aggressively attacks with a really, really good power and its ability is literally relevant every game. I'm not saying that exiling your opponent's graveyard is relevant every game, but it's the similar kind of approach. You've got a proactive threat. It's got evasion rather than just having three power. Um, So you get damage in, you get to be proactive, and you happen to have this removal that's, that's in your main deck that just sometimes gets you out of a bind. All right, so that was it for our picks from Magic 2019 that we thought for sure had a chance of seeing some Highlander play. Like I said, it's a core set. There isn't as much to talk about because a lot of the cards are going to be things like Vigilant Bayloth. It's a Bayloth that has Vigilance. Um, <laughs> but that's that's the entire point, point of course. Colossal Dreadmoor. It's Colossal Dreadmoor. Exactly. He's back again. It has a more. It's dreadful. It's really big. <laughs> Um, we had a couple of honourable mentions that we wanted to bring up. Fans, did you want to talk, take take us into the first one? So the first one, we're not going to read out the text of the honourable mentions. Uh, you guys can go look these up. Uh, the first one is Amulet of Safekeeping. It's an okay piece of Storm Hate that is maybe not as good as some of the other pieces of Storm Hate that have been printed recently. Like, it's if it's specifically Storm, this is probably just worse than Dampening Sphere. But, again... It's another option that people might wish to consider, and maybe it's got some other applications that we haven't considered. Yeah, I think I think Amulet of Safekeeping is one of those cards that everyone will look at. They know exactly what it does. It says, uh, "Look, I'm going to beat Storm now," and it's going to be played in modern or some other format, and it's going to be ubiquitous there as you know a multiple sideboard card just to hate on something in the meta. But when you're talking Highlander. there's just such a bevy of cards that are so much more versatile that can be brought in against a variety of different decks, namely Mindbreak Trap uh, that does essentially the same thing, which is, hey, look, if it gets thought seized or if it gets gets uh, dealt with before they go off, then it does nothing. But if they try to go off, then this stops them going off. Uh, Flusterstorm, same thing, but you can you know pay blue for it. And Null Rod, exactly the same you know, mana cost and playable in every deck. And it's a regularly played sideboard slot because it also happens to hate on things like, you know, mud decks. So this card is very, very narrow. It absolutely destroys Storm. But Storm has duress 
Inquisition, Thoughtseize. It's got these ways to get rid of it from your hand, and it's got Chain of Vapor and the like, Abrupt Decay to get rid of it from play. Um, at the end of the day, the card is definitely good if you've got Storm in your meta, but there are more versatile cards that will fit into those only 15 sideboard slots that you have. It's just a card to keep in mind. If Storm becomes a problem in your local meta, it's another thing you can bring into your sideboard. If for some reason you're in the very narrow uh, meta of Storm on one side and Creature Tokens on the other side, then it does hose <laughs> Creature Tokens too by giving them minus one, minus zero. Uh, in a symmetrical effect, it should be noted. Uh, then congrats, you have your card. But yeah, otherwise, it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. So I'll just read out some of the other honourable mentions. Um, I I wanted to put Alpine Moon on the list just for like a similar reason to Amulet of Safe- Safekeeping, mm-hmm. and that you can look at it and go, oh, when you when you you can preemptively hose a single land from someone's deck, and while we definitely have a format with some scary lands in it, this just isn't really doing enough for you for Mm, mm. what you're paying for it which even though it's a single red what you're actually paying for it is a card slot yeah yeah it's basically ghost quarter right you know the same kind of thing but it's not a land slot it's a bit more proactive permanently deals with the land whereas if you ghost quarter something then they loam it back they play it again or they got crucible it's just kind of it's iffy you know it it's an honorable mention yeah (laughs) yeah what else do we have on this list? Fans, uh, did you want to read them? Yeah, I'll just go through all of these quickly. Yeah. Um, Satyr Enchanter, which is, you know, there's now like seven different enchantresses in the format. Stitcher's Supplier, which is a self-mill enabler for Dredge, which uh, is not quite there yet. <laughs> um, Mistcaller is a mini containment priest, but it's an onboard trick, so it's pretty easy to avoid. Lightning Mare could have some legs, uh, it's uncountable and it bashes past True Name Nemesis, but you know it's pretty easy to kill, so it's probably not quite good enough. It does have four um, legs. It does have a lot of legs. <laughs> but True. for some reason it doesn't have haste. What, what's going on there? What are all those four legs for? Well, it'd be pretty bonkers if it had haste. <laughs> well, mechanically, yes. I do believe it's a, flav- it's a flavor fail. Anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it should have haste. It looks pretty fast to me. <laughs> it does. And it's made of lightning. Anyway, isolate. Uh, which is the one that just kills any one-drop or one-drop creatures. I can't remember. One-drop permanent. One-drop permanent. Look, there are going to be matches and matters where that's good, but on average the converted mana cost might be a bit too varied. Nickel Bolas, probably just not as good as Kess. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> Nick. The four-liner is... slot for Kess pile decks is pretty... You're spoiled for choice in terms of cool things. <laughs> oh, it's just jammed full. Like, how many times have you wanted to put that uh, vampire chap in there? What's his name? He's a four-mana vampire, and he makes other zombies, and you can eat zombies to make himself bigger, and he's got lifelink, that that character. I'm sure that no, that I is am. a card that exists, but I that's, cannot that's think of it right now. That's a thing. <laughs> what Nicobolus has going for it is that, like, eventually you'll be able to turn it into a planeswalker, but um, that's... Mm, and it's, mm. it's a pretty bonkers planeswalker. It's a pretty bonkers planeswalker, but I much prefer just getting my spells now with Kess. Yeah, look, I agree. Um, and our last one, so this isn't a new card, but it's a reprint. Uh, Crucible of Worlds is in the set, so if you don't own one, maybe you want to snap one up. And yes, mm. I do. Top of my shopping list. All right, so that concludes our review of Magic 2019. 
go play some events on the weekend, pick up some cards, maybe see if you can pick up some of the ones that we noted were worthwhile for Highlander. And to finish off the episode, we're going to start a new segment um, where we're going to discuss the best card that we think isn't seeing enough play, um, which is a segment where we're going to give it a bit of a catchier name, but we couldn't think of one for now. But uh, Vance has been really hanging out to let, <laughs> let loose about this card, so I'm just going to let him take it away. Okay, so everyone who's playing an aggro deck who isn't playing Grim Lavamancer and is playing red... You're probably wrong. Um, <laughs> Grim, Grim Manta is an incredibly important card in those matchups. Um, it gives you card advantage. It clears away, you know, opposing two power creatures. It domes your opponent to the face. You'll often end the game in uh, these sorts of red aggro decks where your opponent's kind of stabilized, but they're on like four life or six life. And if you've got something like Grim Manta in play or, or in your deck... They're just under so much pressure to be able to kill it immediately. I'm just going to jump um, in here because I'm assuming that if you're playing Red and you're not playing Grim Lava Manta, maybe you just don't know it exists. So Grim Lava Manta is just Red for a human wizard. It's a 1-1 and it has the ability Red Tap, exile two cards from your graveyard. Grim Lava Manta deals two damage to target creature or player. That will probably say any target now if I'm not wrong. I, I believe it says any target now. Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it's just so important in those decks. So, like, you see a lot of people in these aggro decks stat splash for Deathrite Shaman, and look, Deathrite Shaman is great, and it's a better card in the total than Grim Laughamancer. No question. But if your goal, if your primary aim with Deathrite Shaman is to use the deal two damage mode, Grim Laughamancer is actually better at it than that because. It's really important to be able to kill, you know, your opponent's elves and various other idiots while they're trying to stabilize the board. And also, you don't always have... You, you have some of these creature matchups where there's not actually a lot of sorceries or instants in the graveyard, but you've always got your fetch lands and stuff clogging up the graveyard that you don't care about anymore. So, yeah. Play more Grim Lavamancers, you'll be happy about it. That's a pretty good good um, catchphrase. I like it. I, I know that it is 100% correct to play in your 75. Do you have any comment for the audience, especially for those out there who are building a red deck? In what situations would you put it in your 60? And in what situations would it be in your sideboard? It would never be in my sideboard. What are you talking about? That's crazy talk. No, sorry. If, if you're playing an aggro deck, your metagame needs to not contain any small creature decks for it to be in your sideboard. And even then, I would probably play it main. Because it is really good against the control decks. Like, it is ridiculously can't... good against the control decks. It's such a pain. If, <laughs> if, any, like, if only just because it isn't coming into Bash, you're not going to be able to hold it off by having a true name nemesis or anything like that. He just mm. sits there and just goes, oh, I can't attack. That's okay. I'll just shuffle off some of this graveyard and hit you for two anyway. And I'm sitting there just being like, I've only got so many removal spells in my deck, so I guess you've got to eat one of them. Yeah, exactly. It has to eat a removal spell or it's going to kill them. Um, there's, there's no two ways about it. So, yeah, if you if your goal is to kill your opponent with creatures and burn, play Grim Lavamancer. Hmm. Good. Excellent. Do you, do you feel better now that you've got that off your chest? Oh, so much better. <laughs> uh, the other thing I'd like to say is, um, as Millie said at the start, 
We don't really have a catchy name for this segment yet. We won't do it every episode, just when, you know, we've got something to talk about. So if you come up with a good name for it, or if you've got a good name for it, uh, let us know in on Twitter or in the usual places, and I will give you a signed Vance's Blasting Cannon. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I'll, I'll find a way to hold you to that for sure. <laughs> um, it can be in German or Italian if you'd like. Oh, fancy. <laughs> the signature? <laughs> uh, look, the signature you won't be able to tell, but sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> all right, I think that wraps up this episode for now. So, just wanted to remind you all that we have a Patreon. Due to the request of some of the listeners who wanted to support us, we did start a Patreon at patreon.com slash HighlanderCast. If you support us um, at any amount per episode, then you will have access to a specific channel in our Discord, the, High- the Seven Point Highlander Discord. Um, and you'll just generally be able to um, send us questions or suggestions for episodes and we'll treat them with a higher priority than um, other people uh, who are just going through like the Twitter or the Facebook. Speaking of, um, if you do have a Twitter account, follow us on Twitter at HighlanderCast. You can shoot us questions or feedback where you can answer pretty directly there. Like I said, if you, we'll probably give the Patreon questions a little bit more high priority, but we are listening and we are trying to get through the questions on Twitter and Facebook as well. Speaking of Facebook, with facebook.com slash HighlanderCast as well. We are very consistent. If you'd like to follow any of us individually, only myself and Vance are on Twitter. I'm at Foxes for Sale and Vance is at Vancean Notions. And if in general you'd like to get more involved in the Seven Point Highlander community, go check out OzEternal.com or search out Seven Point Highlander on Facebook. There is a very active group there. And as I mentioned before, we have the Discord, so we'll chuck a link to the Discord in the show notes. You can join us, chat about your deck ideas, talk about other formats of magic if you really want to, but just generally connect with other Highlander players and we're all pretty passionate about the format so yeah thanks for listening everyone this is millie signing off thanks everyone good night all <laughs> <laughs>